the market is really starting to get close to that overbought positioning again, and certainly valuations do seem a little bit stressed. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. As the vaccine rollout remains slow-moving and pushes an economic rebound further out, advisors may be wondering how to keep clients invested with a reasonable exposure to risk. Today, portfolio managers Alfred Lee, Chris McKinney, and host Mark Race offer a broad mix of defensive strategies to sustain portfolio gains and keep the volatility in check. Before we hear from our experts, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, and welcome to the BMO Global Asset Management weekly ETF call, our insights call with our team of experts. I'm your host, Mark Reyes, head of products for BMO Game Canada, covering ETFs and funds. Our two guests today, we have Chris McKaney and Alfred Lee. Chris focuses on equity and derivative ETFs as one of our portfolio managers, and Alfred focuses on fixed income and preferred shares. And I wanted to start today with low volatility. We're certainly getting some renewed interest and questions coming in around the strategies. Uh, I think probably mostly because of the strong market run post the March COVID scare, people uh, starting to think about different ways of approaching the market. And of course, BMO has a market leading shelf. Um, if we look back to 2020, you know that low volatility had its challenges. Uh, can you touch on a couple of those points, but as well, give us your low volatility outlook for 2021 as advisors consider, again, repositioning portfolio market risk. Thanks. Sure, and I'll, I'll take that one, Mark. And certainly 2020 did have uh, present many challenges across the equity market and, and low volatility was was no exception there. Um, I think primarily what you saw out of those type of strategies was after the sell-off in Q1 in March, um, that rebound phase, that growth phase that the markets experienced was really very narrowly focused. It was primarily driven by uh, you know, technology companies and the technology sector and those sort of companies that were actually benefiting from economies closing down, people staying at home and you know, utilizing different technologies to stay connected and, and, and do what they needed to do. And so those were the sort of companies that drove the growth coming out of the March lows. And really low volatility strategies have very little exposure to those types of stocks because of their inherent uh, high volatility. And so low volatility did not really experience the, that huge lift um, that, that broad equity indices uh, exhibited. Um, and that, you know, that was really that April to October period where that really took hold. Um, then, you know, in November, coming with news of vaccines on the horizon, you know, generally the, the whole equity market got a bit of a lift. And that's where low volatility started to um, normalize with the rest of the market and, and, and experience a little bit of growth. 
as we as we move into 2021 here, um, because of that growth first just in that narrow sector, that that IT sector, and then generally um, across the board over the last two to three months, you know the the market is really starting to get close to that overbought positioning again, and, and certainly valuations do seem a little bit stretched in some areas for sure. Um, coupled with the fact that you know, the vaccine rollout so far is not going as planned. Um, it's a little bit slower here and there. And of course, you know, this is a huge logistical um, problem to deliver millions and millions of doses um, of, of vaccines across the world, really. And so with that playing out sort of still in question as to, as to how long that will take, how many people will get the vaccine, um, how long will it take to get them into people's arms, and what does the reopening look like? You know, there's still a lot of uh, uncertainty around that. And so investors have been looking back to Lowval to stay invested in the equity markets, make sure we're still getting that equity growth, especially because fixed income yields remain very low. Um, but at the same time, making sure you're not adding on too much risk to a market that really has run a lot in certain areas already. And so countering, um, you know, some of those areas that saw a lot of growth uh, in 2020, adding to low vol or, or maintaining an exposure to low volatility strategies throughout 2021, we think makes a lot of sense to sort of navigate, again, these continued unknowns and what that's going to do to the global economy, how quickly will the global economy rebound. Um, and so maintaining a more reasonable exposure to risk makes a lot of sense and low volatility makes a, a big part of that. Great, Chris. As mentioned, certainly seeing a lot more interest now with the with the level of markets uh, once again in our low volatility suite. So good to get those comments out there. And staying on that same theme, um, for someone who wants to approach a different way, finding markets expensive but still wanting to put uh, money to work, can you give us an update on ZPay, the premium yield ETF we launched at the beginning of last year? Uh, can you give us an update on where you are in terms of yield, portfolio positioning, and I think most interesting, how you've moved the equity exposure over the course of the year? Thanks. Sure, and good good timing on that question. Actually, today's the one-year anniversary um, of when was that pay was listed, so um, essentially one year of, of performance now, and we'll start to see that being published around on the different uh, external websites. But um, yeah, it is a strategy as well that I think a lot of investors were interested in last year. As you say, um, you know, afraid to go full into the markets or want an exposure that just provides a little bit of growth with consistent income stream, uh, which is what this strategy does, primarily an income uh, vehicle in terms of uh, tax effective distributions. Um, just looking back at that past year, you know, ZPay, uh, looking at performance, close to 10% return on the U.S. dollar units, you know, stripping out uh, the, the effect of currency, um, almost a 10% return with the S&P at about 16%. So a decent participation rate relative to what equities did, uh, but with much less volatility, about half the volatility. And so um, a lot of investors find that makes sense, particularly from a risk-adjusted basis. Um, but to your question of how that return was accomplished and where the equity weight moved over time, um, you know, typically we do tell investors that um, overall in, in quote-unquote normal market environments, this strategy would have uh, you know, less invested directly in equities, typically 
uh, about one-third of its portfolio uh, invested in direct equities um, and using the options market to, to generate that, that cash flow um, within the rest of the portfolio. As markets sell off and as we saw in Q1 last year, that equity weight moves up as, as put options get moved into the money. Um, our equity weight actually went from about 33% up to close to 70% um, at the lowest points uh, in the market in uh, late March and early April. And then as the market rallied through, um, through the summer and into the fall, that equity weight slowly comes down as we write call options on our equity positions and those get called away as they move into the money. And so the equity weight has drifted down with the market rally. It's now actually down at about 25%. And, you know, the, the current trailing volatility is less than half of what the equity market um, uh, is exhibiting. And so it's, it's something that, again, moves around as uh, volatility in the equity markets dictates. You know, aftermarket sell-off, you'll tend to see equity weight move up in this portfolio. Um, and as markets rally, the equity weight comes back off to create a nice balanced overall uh, risk level within this portfolio. Um, and again, still able to achieve decent market returns, primarily through that option overlay and the, that tax-effective cash flow. So it's been a very good first year. Uh, we continue to see lots of interest in this strategy as, again, you know, just speaking about uh, equities being relatively high right now in terms of valuations and in terms of relative strength. I'm getting close to that over overbought uh, territory. Um, so investors wanting to keep a little, you know, dip that toe into the market um, and generate, uh, you know, that tax-effective cash flow while they're doing it. Um, we've seen a lot of interest in this strategy, and we expect that to continue for for this year. Great, thanks for that update, Chris. Again, just a different way to approach being more defensive in the market. Now let's turn to Alfred and fixed income. Uh, again, looking forward into 2021, can you give us an update on credit spreads and how you would position with corporate bond ETFs? We certainly know that yield is challenging and is going to continue to be so for the foreseeable future. So how would you recommend picking up additional yield on that side of your book uh, with fixed income ETFs? Thanks. Uh, it's a good question, Mark. I think, you know, similar to Chris was saying on the equity side, uh, if you look at the credit space right now, um, it's definitely a tough space in terms of, you know, looking for uh, credit spread compression opportunities. So one thing that we've been highlighting in terms of high yield, for example, uh, if you look at CDX high yield spreads, trading at about 295 basis points right now, uh, typically they get as tight as, as 280 basis points before widening back out. Uh, Fitch Credit Rating Agency recently uh, posted that they anticipate default rates for 2021 to be about 3.5% for the year. Um, so we believe this is, you know, probably on a little bit on the low side. I, I think if you look at high yield, uh, the market is probably not accurately pricing uh, the, you know, amount of risk in, in the high yield space right now. Where I think there are attractive opportunities, however, is that if you look at Canadian Triple B, for example, uh, that space offers some pretty attractive opportunities at this point. So, if you look at triple B spreads in Canada, uh, they're trading at about 140 basis points. So uh, they get, they've gotten as low as 125 basis points in 2018. So that doesn't sound like much, but 20 basis points in the investment grade spaces, especially at this point of the rally, um, it's, it's pretty attractive, especially when you consider it compared to uh, things like high yield. So uh, if you look at the BMO triple B corporate bond index ETFs, that triple B, uh, that's an easy way to get exposure to the triple B 
uh, investment-grade segment of the Canadian investment-grade market. Uh, it's a good way to get exposure to liquid. And by going through an ETF, you diversify away that a lot of that company-specific risk. Um, but for a lot of investors, you know, looking for high yield, um, as I mentioned, I think, you know, the high yield space has been, uh, it's rallied quite a bit uh, over the last couple of months. Uh, one area that we have been recommending as an alternative to high yield is emerging market bonds. So um, I think if you look at emerging market bonds, it's a good alternative for yield-oriented investors. Uh, if you look at credit spreads in the space, it's trading at about 170 basis points right now. They typically get as low as 110 basis points. So a lot of credit spread compression opportunities for yield-oriented investors uh, in the emerging market bond space. But, uh, you know, we continue to like this space. If you look at the balance sheets of a lot of emerging market countries, I think far more prudent, especially, you know, in the post-COVID world um, compared to their developed peers. Uh, so one easy way for emerging market or for investors to get exposure to emerging market bonds is uh, through ZEF, which is our emerging market bond ETF. Um, but if I could put my equity hat on for a second, I think, you know, an area that exhibits a lot of fixed income-like properties is, is REITs. So obviously it's not fixed income, but, you know, REITs, as I mentioned, you know, exhibits a lot of properties uh, such as, you know, having a duration element, having a credit component. So I think commercial real estate obviously has been supported by low lease rates. Um, but if you look at the credit aspect, you know, credit, um, there's still a lot of credit opportunities within the REIT space. So if you look at a lot of names like you know, involved in the retail and commercial space, so things like Rio Can Dream, Dream Office, obviously, you know, pretty badly hit by the lockdown measures. Uh, but I think the sector is going to go undergo a transformation over the next five years where um, larger cap names like, you know, as I mentioned, Rio Can Dream, um, you know, they're not as well positioned as smaller cap names such as, you know, industrial warehousing and, and a lot of residential property REITs. Um, so I think an equal weight strategy in the REITs uh, area is a good way to play uh, the REIT sector. It's, it, you know, de-emphasizes a lot of larger cap names and puts more emphasis on a lot of, you know, smaller cap names like Boardwalk, Chartwell, uh, WPT Industrial. So, you know, to answer your question, I think, you know, credit is um, a little bit more challenging right now, but if you look, there are uh, definitely opportunities out there. Great. Thanks for that, Alfred. So certainly some different ways to, to come at the credit market where certainly, as, as you've mentioned, uh, a lot of spreads have come in and you got to be a little more selective in how you approach that right now. Uh, next question I wanted to ask, again, relating to a lot of advisor questions coming into us. Um, perhaps it's because, you know, with COVID-19 and the, and the vaccine rollout at the forefront of most conversations, uh, we're getting asked a lot about U.S. healthcare. So can you give us an update on BMO's healthcare ETFs? Uh, if you look at that trade, has it played out at this point, uh, or is there still sort of untapped upside? And as well, uh, I think when people are so focused on certain points of that conversation, what are the different return drivers within those portfolios? Thanks. You know, as you mentioned, I think healthcare was a huge focus for uh, 2020 for obvious reasons, given the uh, the COVID front. Uh, but I think if you look at the COVID trade, um, there's you know, the COVID trade still has a little bit of legs to it. So I think you know, the Moderna and Pfizer are obviously, um, you know, pretty big catalysts for the sector, um, especially after November. Um, but if you look at names like um, Johnson & Johnson, uh, Merck, 
uh, they also have vaccines um, that are pretty close to being ready. Um, so that's going to give some additional momentum to the sector. Um, in addition to that, staying on the topic of COVID, uh, Regeneron, which makes um, COVID treatments, uh, that's also held within ZUH as well. So there's a lot of um, you know, potential tailwinds still left in that COVID trade. But to me, I think, you know, COVID's just, you know, one of the main headlines that dominated the sector last year. I think healthcare to me uh, has always been more of a long-term secular story. So I think, you know, in the wake of COVID, we're certainly going to see more emphasis placed towards uh, things like biotech, putting more research dollars behind uh, developing vaccines, uh, having them ready in case we were to face another pandemic. But I think the longer-term story in healthcare has always been the aging demographic. So, uh, you know, the need for healthcare, the need for healthcare services. But I think the upside in, in healthcare right now is that if you look at the valuations, uh, the valuation of the sector is it's, it's pretty attractive right now. So the P of the sector, it's trading at about 23 times earnings. Uh, the S&P 500 is a current P ratio of about 30 times earnings. So a lot of attractive value there. So I think, you know, what we're going to see in 2021, given that uh, the equity market has rallied significantly and, and, you know, valuations are rich in many different areas. I think what investors are going to do throughout the year is you know, they're going to start rotating into areas that not just simply offer growth, uh, but offer growth at, you know, an attractive valuation as well. So, um, you know, with a democratic win, I think, you know, potentially creates some headwinds for uh, drug makers and insurers, but um, other areas like, you know, equipment makers and services, I think they're well positioned, uh, even if we get an implementation of the Affordable Care Act. But even for the drug makers, I think, you know, I think, as I mentioned, I think the government is going to potentially uh, put out more dollars behind, you know, researching biotech um, and, you know, getting uh, potential um, vaccines and treatments, uh, uh, you know, putting more research behind areas like that, uh, because I think, you know, it's pretty clear that society as a whole was pretty unprepared for this pandemic. So I think overall, I think healthcare is still pretty well positioned. I think there's a lot of upside left, um, especially when you consider uh, the valuations of the sector as a whole. You're listening to Views from the Desk, a weekly edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying today's discussion, we encourage you to check out our deep dive episodes where we take you under the hood of BMO GAM's product suite. Check out episode 14 in this same podcast series where we take a deeper look at BMO's premium yield ETF, ticker ZPAY, ZPAY, an innovative options strategy with equity exposure designed to inherently buy low and sell high, all the while yielding tax-efficient cash flow. Chris, I have another one uh, for you. Um, for those that are really on the ball, you would have seen that we've uh, just filed through our prospectus. Not that not that most advisors are picking through prospectuses, but certainly getting picked up uh, by a lot of the ETF analysts and perhaps some people are on those uh, mailing lists. So when we think about those concentrated returns from 2020, and this whole idea of megatrends that has become so topical, uh, whether that's, you know, internet, genomics, or anything else, uh, we've just received approval to launch a new suite of ETFs that focus on disruptive technology and innovation. And, you know, what I find interesting about it is unlike bottom-up stock picking, these ETFs are really much more top-down uh, and invest across sectors trying to get that exposure to these innovations or megatrends. And 
you know, because of that, I, I feel like they can be strategic allocations in a portfolio uh, because they provide that growth and they're going to continue to evolve with market disruption. So can you just touch on these ETFs, which will be coming out soon, and give us some examples of the companies that these ETFs will hold? Thanks. Sure, Mark. And as you say, certainly, I think um, these ETFs potentially fit a nice spot uh, uh, in the growth bucket of of investors' portfolios, particularly for long-term investors that uh, are looking for potentially outsized returns. as you mentioned, we did file for a suite of, of different uh, megatrend ETFs. Um, a few of them are based on the MSCI innovation indices and the suite of indices underneath that. Um, the MSCI innovation index was developed in collaboration with ARK Invest. Uh, and of course, that's the global asset manager that's been making headlines south of the border for their outsized returns um, in, in investing and in, in capturing some of these megatrends. And so, you know, combining that research capability with MSCI's capabilities, developing global stock market indices um, in terms of, you know, their analytics around risk and putting these together into investable portfolios, you know, we think these actually make a very good solution for investors looking to capture these trends. Um, Some of the uh, more focused areas that we'll be launching ETFs in are genomic innovation and and Alfred talked a lot about healthcare and some of the, the tailwinds that are behind that. Um, and some of those companies are, are captured within this genomic uh, innovation index as well. You know, Moderna is one of them, Regeneron, um, Roche, more developed uh, pharmaceuticals and others. And so that, that's looking specifically at genomic sequencing analysis and therapeutics. Um, another area that we're launching uh, on is the, the FinTech innovation. So, Sorry, just to put some tickers out there, ZGEN for the genomic innovation, ZFIN for fintech innovation. And, you know, again, looking at how some of these trends accelerated uh, in 2020, but still have a long way to play out, you know, digital payments, mobile wallets, and that sort of thing. So companies like PayPal, Square, Shopify, you would get exposure to within that fintech realm. Um, another area is in the next generation internet. So ZINT uh, is our offering there. And with the, the rollout of 5G technology, think about cloud computing infrastructure, um, shared technologies, uh, what a lot of us have started to experience working from home, um, you know, how to be able to connect from anywhere um, and to get the data that you need. Um, and so that's a, another, again, mega trend that we think makes a lot of sense going forward. Companies you might see in there, Apple, uh, Alibaba, NVIDIA, a lot of the the popular names that I think investors uh, might be familiar with, um, including e-commerce names in there as well. And then the fourth area um, for this suite of MSCI indices is in autonomous technology and and industrial innovation. So um, think about autonomous transportation, for example, but also 3D printing going back to, you know, the actual industrial manufacturing element and even, you know, the robotics that, that build uh, the autonomous uh, transportation vehicles and, and things like that, and including even up to space exploration. So, you know, Tesla is one name that's very popular that, that would be found in that uh, portfolio. ZAUT is the ticker for that one. Um, NEO, and again, you know, that's that similar play to Tesla, but, uh, you know, at a much smaller scale. And Taiwan Semiconductor, you know, a lot of the semiconductors involved 
um, in that uh, running the software behind a lot of this autonomous technology. So those are four different themes, uh, again, that are tracking these MSCI indices. And for investors that you know, might want exposure to this, but you know, not sure which one of these to pick, we're also offering ZINN, which is the overall MSCI Innovation Index ETF that provides exposure to all four of these. Um, and so, again, you can pick and choose your, your, your narrow area that you want exposure to or just um, capture all four of them in, in the parent index. And then the last one I'll touch on is a clean energy ETF. So ZCLN um, is the ticker for that one, and that's based off an S&P index. Um, and this is something that we think, again, has a long way to play out in terms of being a megatrend, the conversion from oil and coal-powered energy to clean and renewable energy sources. You know, I just saw a headline actually that in 2020, um, globally, over $500 billion was spent on renewable power and electric vehicles and, and, and other technologies of the like. Um, that's a global record in terms of how much was spent in this area. And that's with the U.S., the largest economy in the world, actually reducing their spending by 20%. Um, so given the new administration that's coming in in the U.S., you know, the, the thought that they will be rejoining the Paris Agreement um, and the push towards clean technology that we're expecting south of the border, you know, add on to what's already being spent elsewhere globally. Again, we think this is a trend that's going to continue over time as, um, you know, governments, countries and companies move towards that net zero emissions targets, whether that's in 2035, 2040, 2050, you're hearing a lot of targets uh, from different countries and companies as to when they want to achieve that. And so we think, um, you know, a lot of these um, areas have a long way to play out. We think they are trends that will develop over a long period of time. Um, so for investors with that long-term time horizon that want potentially, you know, exponential growth um, from some of these areas, we think um, this could be a nice uh, solution for them. So that, I would like to check if there are any questions on the line for Chris and Alfred. Good morning, gentlemen. Um, great presentation as usual this morning. There's a lot of talk around the potential resurgence of inflation in the market. I think as Canadian, we hear a lot about infrastructure, gold, real return bond. Uh, could one of you speak to us about the difference between the Canadian real return bond versus U.S. tips? Is it something we should consider those to tackle the potential resurgence of inflation? Thank you. So, you know, I think inflation is definitely becoming more topical. Um, so for many reasons, I think in the post-COVID world, um, obviously, you know, central banks and governments have thrown a lot towards uh, COVID relief efforts, uh, not to mention, you know, the Fed was already expanding their balance sheets um, in the post-great uh, financial crisis world as well after 2008. Um, so in addition to monetary uh, policy concerns, I think, you know, if you look around anecdotally, you know, even if you go shopping, I think you're already seeing some hints of inflation as well. So, you know, we're, we're already seeing, you know, supply chain disruptions, which is causing um, cost push inflation. But I think, you know, what potentially happens is once the economy reopens, we're going to get things like demand pull inflation, which, um, you know, which we're currently not seeing. But I think, you know, inflation is definitely going to be become more of a concern. You know, we definitely don't think um, inflation is going to become rampant as we saw as in the 1970s, but you know, definitely something to, to put in the, uh, on the back burner. But you know, to answer your question between uh, the difference between real return bonds and, and U.S. tips, 
the U.S. tips market is is far more uh, developed. There's a lot more issues across the entire term structure. Uh, in addition to that, there's uh, a lot more liquidity in the U.S. tips market as well. Uh, when you look at the real return mar- real return bond market in Canada, um, a little bit less liquid or a lot less liquid. But you know, as I mentioned, the tips market is a lot more developed, uh, which allows us to you know create a product that is you know concentrated entirely on the short term, uh, which gives investors a pure play on inflation. Thank you. May I ask another question around this? Like for the U.S. tips, um, do you think it's better to go in U.S. dollar, Canadian dollar, hedge on hedge? Uh, is it something you, you, you're going to offer uh, those in the near term? Yeah, so we, we do have um, the short-term U.S. tips launching in uh, non-currency hedge, currency hedge, and also in U.S. dollars as well. Uh, I think for the short term, I think, uh, you know, typically what we saw coming out of the recession in 2008 was uh, the Canadian dollar outperformed. Um, it's looking very similar as well. I think when you look at, you know, Canadian monetary policy, uh, it's been far more prudent than than what the Fed has. So I think, you know, going with the currency option is, is probably uh, the better way to play it right now. Hi, I noticed you have uh, two value ETFs. ZBC, the Canadian, and the uh, ZBU, the U.S. I'd like to know your outlooks on these two ETFs and the rotation into value in Canada and the U.S. I mean, in your opinions or your views, is one market better positioned to benefit from value exposure sooner than the other? Thank you. Certainly value, you know, there's been a lot of attention paid to value over over the last number of years, particularly on, um, you know, up until 2020, a uh, uh, significant underperformance of value. Um, and then throughout 2020, you know, we discussed, again, the very narrow um, drivers of, of market returns. But, you know, what we've seen since uh, November, and again, the announcement of vaccines coming on the horizon and potentially reopening of economies, uh, the value factor has, has taken off substantially. And so really, when you think about value investing, I think you really have to combine that with your outlook on um how quickly these economies are going to reopen. It really is a, a quote-unquote reopening trade as, you know, companies that have looked cheap for a long time, you know, potentially are cheap for a reason. You know, maybe there's no business, um, you know, maybe there's very limited business due to, um, you know, restrictions on certain, uh, certain economies. But as economies reopening and we get back to quote-unquote normal, whatever that looks like, a lot of those companies that have been beaten down will start to be able to, you know, reopen, um, generate that revenue again and, and, and get back to sort of normal valuations. And so I think you really have to tie it with your view of how quickly that's going to happen throughout 2021. Is that a, something that's going to happen, you know, by, by mid-year or is that later into the year um, and then potentially get ahead of that? You know, we have seen in the U.S. in particular since that um, announcement in November, um, the value portfolio is up over 20%. So there is potential for significant rally um, in that value factor um, as, as economies do reopen and as we do get back to, again, some sense of normalcy. Um, in terms of where it might make more sense, you know, certainly the U.S. has a broader, um, I guess, scope of companies to choose from. So you might get a more pure, quote-unquote, pure value exposure um, in the U.S., but 
You know, I think it really comes down to what geographies you want exposure to in general when you're building your portfolio. I think that's the question you should answer first. Um, mix in a little bit of Canada, of course, and some U.S. is, is typically what most investors do. Um, and tilt towards those value factors as you see appropriate within each of those regions. Um, and so, again, I, I don't think it's necessarily one country versus the other. I think it's more about your view on how quickly economies will reopen, how quickly will we get back to normal, and then ride the value trade um, on the back of that. So I just want to thank everyone once again for joining us this morning. We really appreciate your time. Thanks for listening in. And, of course, thanks to both Alfred and Chris uh, for your comments, your insights, uh, and Chris as well for those uh, teaser comments on, on some of those ETFs that are upcoming. Great to see. With that, just like to wish everyone a great day, and thank you once again for joining the call. Thank you to Alfred Lee, Chris McKinney, and Mark Rays for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, our experts provided creative solutions to protect clients from uncertainties, including premium yield ETF, ticker ZPay, and the Canadian corporate bond strategy, ticker ZBBB. For investors seeking higher yield, the choices range from emerging market bonds to healthcare and REITs. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio manager represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment tax or legal advice to any party. Investment should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statements that necessarily depend on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.